the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Well, I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm so glad to be here with you. I hope and trust that you are as well. Nippy in the evening, a little bit cold, a little bit challenging. I'm sure you are aware of that. We are quickly precipitating into our fall weather in the next couple of days and weeks. It will be here, the cold, uh, and you want to be ready for it as well. Just... um, Just be ready for it. And all that comes with it. Welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Jesse Gistan in the house. Happy to be here, as I said. Hope you're happy, too. Uh, Looking forward to the next two hours chatting with you a bit on uh, important topics. Let me see how I might frame the uh, sort of trajectory of our thought for today. Hmm. I got two main thoughts I want to express, and I'm hoping that... You will engage me. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. It's the number to reach me uh, if you have a question, comments, observations of things that we've talked about in the past, different theological subjects, social issues. Um, I'm always getting emails from a lot of you guys about different theological topics. Uh, frequently the more peripheral doctrines, but hey, you want to talk about it now? That's great. We are exercising once again our freedom of speech in a context in which we are most blessed in that I can actually talk to you and you can talk back to me uh, while we have the forum of uh, thousands of people joining us as well. So this is a real, real privilege. Now, you've heard this verse before. And I'm going to quote it and I'm going to read an article that I think will actually be a blessing to you. It's going to be rather lengthy, but this consider this segment a time of theological reflection upon a very, uh, probably one of the most frequently used Bible verses uh, of our time, at least. You'll hear it from believers. You'll hear it from non-believers. You will hear it from believers who are in precarious situations, sometimes very obviously sinful situations. You will hear it from professing believers who are uh, dealing with controversial subjects and, and really just don't really care for any kind of accountability. You will hear this from politicians. You will hear this from entertainers. You will hear this. From educators, you will hear this from anyone, as I stated, who just doesn't 
uh, know how to handle uh, accountability. You've heard it before. The very ubiquitous and most famous term that is used virtually everywhere anyone has ever read a Bible, and particularly the King James Version. The scripture says, judge not lest you be judged. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. And you've heard it, haven't you? Judge not lest you be judged. I have an article in front of me. I just kind of want to massage your thoughts around that topic. Have you ever had someone to say that to you when you were simply seeking to, as it were, uh, uh, contribute to a challenge that they may be dealing with, a lifestyle, a uh, a situation, a sin problem even. You, if you felt like you had the right to engage them on a level of accountability, you, you spoke into their life, you inserted yourself in love, you did what the proverb says, uh, uh, you know, uh, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the rebuke of a friend is faithfulness. Faithfulness are the wounds of a friend. And sometimes you found yourself being hit with the retort. Don't judge me. Judge not. Jesus said, do not judge. Well, here's a very good article that will serve as a good meditation and reflection upon that topic. It's by one Donnie Mathis. It's called Judge Not Isn't the Ultimate Mic Drop. Judge Not Isn't the Ultimate Mic Mic drop. Now, for those of you who are older people, don't know what don't know what the mic drop is. That's when you make a statement, a comment that's pithy, that's uh, final, that's decisive, that's clear, and you think you have won your argument or you've won that battle. You drop the mic. Donnie says, "Judge not isn't the ultimate mic drop." I quote: Steve Kerr is a pretty typical coach in how he approaches referees. The Golden State Warriors coach sometimes rides them when they make unjust calls. I would never say things that I do to referees to a person in a normal life, said Steve Kerr. He told Michael Lewis on a recent podcast, I feel like there is this personal offense, like something unfair is happening. I get it. Every time I watch my beloved Kentucky Wildcats, of whom he played for, I yell, that's pitiful, ref. And he's just, you know, exclaiming how he will get at the ref. And the ref is the one doing the judging. If our disdain for being told we're wrong was limited to referees in sports, our predicament would be wouldn't be so so dire. Yet everyone from toddlers to retirees wants their behavior justified. Did you hear what he said? If our disdain for being told we're wrong was limited to referees in sports, our predicament wouldn't be so dire. Yet everyone from toddlers to retirees wants their behavior justified. We want the ref to make the call against other teams. We want friends and family to approve of our life choices. We want everyone on social media to agree with us. We don't mind a fair and impartial judge so long as he rules in our favor. We want an advocate in a judge's robe. Consequently, Jesus's prohibition against judging Matthew 7, 1 has become a mantra in our uh, autonomy, idolizing, referee, despising culture. Let me quote that epithet once again. Jesus's prohibition against judging in Matthew 7, 1 has become a mantra in our autonomy, idolizing, referee, despising culture. 
When others try to judge our actions, we simply remind everyone, judge not. We call on Jesus of Nazareth to aid the politician who has questionable voting records, the celebrity embroiled in his latest scandal, or basically anyone who has made a morally questionable decision. This pithy verse is the ultimate trump card for securing an undisputed victory in any argument. Here's how it usually works. Quote Jesus, judge not that you be not judged. Act like anyone who disagrees is foolish or intolerant. Then make a clean getaway with Jesus at the wheel. This is the mic drop of all mic drops. Sadly, too few onlookers will paraphrase Inigo Montoya, where he says, I don't think that verse means what you think it means. And so then Donnie Martha goes on to talk about the concept of flourishing and judgment. And I do want you to hear this. I think this is very insightful in terms of snatching that Bible verse out of the hands of people who are using it as a shield against legitimate accountability. He says, to understand Jesus' famous soundbite, it's worth considering the equally famous sermon it comes from. Whoa, where's that, you guys? The Sermon on the Mount, remember? With his anecdote for anxiety ringing in the crowd's ear, Jesus changes direction. Do not judge in order that you may not be judged. Wait, what? Jesus has addressed the daily judgments people make about what they eat, what they wear, explaining that one key to life in his kingdom is not worrying about those things. So what kind of judgment is Jesus condemning? Now, this is the key to that verse. The Sermon on the Mount provides a path for flourishing. The Sermon on the Mount provides a path for flourishing. But the path is laden with judgment. Would you agree? Jesus does not prohibit the moral and relational judgments necessary to navigate a fallen world and pursue his reign in our lives. For example, at least four brief principles stand out when trying to grasp what Jesus is and is not saying here. One is be careful about using a single Bible verse to make a point. We all know that that's called text proofing. I don't know anyone who likes it when their words get twisted. So let's do our best not to do it with Jesus or the scriptures. Number two, make judgments with empathy and grace. That's a great insight. It is inherent in the verse we're dealing with. Make judgments with empathy and grace. Followers of Jesus must make moral judgments without a doubt with a full awareness of their own sinfulness. This is Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Thirdly, never judge with hypocrisy. Jesus commands his followers to make judgments about sin. However, we must diligently avoid viewing ourselves as better than others who sin. Fourthly, don't cower in fear when a judgment needs to be made. We shouldn't use Jesus's warning against hypocrisy as an excuse to absolve us from declaring unpopular truth. Whoa, don't cower in fear when a judgment needs to be made. Don't be afraid that once you have to make that judgment, if you have to do it with the requisites we talked about, do it without hypocrisy, do it with empathy and grace, do it contextualizing the verse, but don't be afraid to do it. This is me talking. 
In the end, Jesus is the advocate we need and long for. He is just and the justifier of the person who trusts in him. He doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. Instead, he sees it. And then he takes the judgment we deserve so we can stand justified and live under his wise rule. Let's pursue flourishing together in Jesus's kingdom. May he empower us to judge with clarity, humility, courage, watch this, and with a beam-free eye. What our brother does is explain the uh, sort of the hyperbole of the text when it says, first remove the beam from your own eye. And then proceed to remove the splinter from your neighbor's eye. What he said there as we close for a break is don't not seek to help your brother get the splinter out of his eye. That's caring for him. It will be an infection. He could lose his eye. He could become permanently blind. If we carry that over into spiritual dimensions, we understand the implications. Do we not? To be spiritually blind is to not see Christ. To not see Christ is to not have life. To not have life is to be spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead is to be eternally condemned. We want to remove all splinters, but only after we have made sure that we're not operating with a beam running through our own eyes. He said one more thing as we close. He says, make sure you judge righteous judgment. And that is really the essence of the whole of what we would consider the biblical mandate of accountability for the people of God. Whatever we judge, we want to judge righteous judgment. We want to make sure that what we are dealing with, we're dealing with fairly, justly, graciously, wisely, and also uh, in that sense of personal vulnerability that uh, to what degree we judge others, we will also be judged. And uh, James made it clear, let us exercise the law of mercy so that mercy can rejoice over judgment. It means that as we bring an uh, assessment to a thing, a judgment to a thing, make sure we bring the mercy of God with it so that not only they can be healed, but we can be healed just in case we're making a mistake in our um, loving responsibility towards others to help them walk around with clear eyes. See, we all want to have clear eyes. We want to see Jesus fully. We want to see him clearly. We want to see him vividly because to the degree we do that, we're transformed into his image. That's our thought for today. I'm going to take a break. I've got three lines open. one 367 5329 I've got a hero I want to talk to you about a little bit on the other side of the break, and then we'll take your phone calls and enjoy some conversation uh, on this Monday edition of Lifeline with your host, Jesse Gistin. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back at the time, 525. Three lines open if you want to call in. one 367 5329 I do not want to fall short of reminding you that in a couple of days, many of us will be celebrating Thanksgiving. That very uh, important day for believers in Christ. 
for the people of God all around the world for God's bountiful providences in our life. We will be celebrating a wonderful season that God has uh, has has engaged all of us in all of his creatures around the world uh, on all parts of the planet in that, as the apostle puts it in Acts 14, he has done us good and that he has give, given us seasons and days and years and he has filled our hearts with good things and um we want to simply make sure that when we bump up against Thursday that we have done all we could to set aside a season where we could enter into praise and thanksgiving to our God for what he has done for us. I trust that that will be the case for you. And even now, as I think about how the psalmist says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. And I am compelled to think once again of what one Psalms 103 verses one and following say, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. There we have seven manifold blessings that are given to us in what we call the the wealth benefit package of the believer where God takes care of his people for which, as the psalmist puts it, bless the Lord, O my soul. And yet, as I'm thinking about it right now, you guys, I'm thinking about people all over the Bay Area and across the world for whom it will be challenging to say the least, extremely difficult, in some cases, virtually impossible to really thank God because of the dire circumstances that they are in or under uh, by virtue of all kinds of reasons. And for them, we need to be prayerful, thoughtful, and maybe even um, orthopraxy in our expression of care for them. What do I mean by that? Orthopraxy. We're now talking theology, aren't we? You see your neighbor uh, in need and you have wherewith to help them. Well, Jesus says help. James says help. John says help. The word of God says help. So I want to encourage you as you move into your celebration of uh, of fullness and and feasting and, and enjoying family and friends and all that. And I hope that that's the case for you as it is for me, that you think about someone less fortunate than you. And uh, maybe just get up in the morning or do it the day before. I often do. Go find a homeless shelter um, or keep your eyes wide open as you're walking the street and driving down the road. Uh, Maybe have a a, a lunch bag in the car or two or five, you and the kids. And uh, see a homeless person, give them them something to eat. Or if you have the financial wherewithal, uh, go get some shawls or some blankets or some pillows. They don't cost much. And uh, keep them in your car. You're going to see lots of people who are in desperate situations. That's a whole nother topic uh, that really is worthy of being discussed among the people of God. Uh, We don't want to close a blind eye to that reality. 
Um, but as you move towards Thursday, make sure that you give unto others as God has given unto you. I'm speaking to the body of Christ in Hayward uh, under the ministry of Grace Bible Church, of which I happen to be the pastor. I'm encouraging you, my family, my brethren, my flock, uh, that you would go on out and uh, and you would serve in some capacity for a small period of time. Uh, before you sit down under your cozy roof with your warm fire and your uh, voluptuous meal that was all a product of the grace of God. I do say also around this topic of uh, Thanksgiving that it has controversial elements in terms of the dubious history of our Native American brothers and the pilgrims that probably were virtuous, but then the troubles that came along, the ultimate hypocrisy of confiscation of their land and rights and all of that. So we want to be careful to make sure that as we're thanking God for what we have, that we're also confessing our sins for what we have, because uh, we may be unwittingly involved in some treachery by which you and I are, are are presently blessed by. And you can talk to me about that if you want to. I just want to cover my bases and make sure that I am not living in the lap of luxury, uh, uh, not forgetting those who have sacrificed in order that I might have the lifestyle that I have. And you, uh, notwithstanding all of the complicated components that go into what we call history, the uh, present material narcissism that's perpetuated by greed that hardly gives God thanks for its daily bread and continual provisions. That's the third component that I think you are automatically and immediately resonate with me on the present material narcissism perpetuated by greed that hardly gives God thanks for its daily bread and continual providences. Let's make sure if we're guilty of narcissism and guilty of uh, greed and and uh, excess, that we give God thanks in the context of confession, also in the context of repentance, so we can do better. I know right now what I'm about to do is just give up a whole bunch of things that I have to the Goodwill and Salvation Army over the next day or two just because it's right to do. I'm clearing out my year and starting afresh, and that's kind of what I do seasonally because I realize that God gives me and I end up having more than I need and I don't need more than I need only need what I need my God is rich in mercy and goodness and will supply all my needs according to his riches and in glory in Christ Jesus and he does that for you too so let's share the love share the wealth share the blessings with those who are less fortunate than us and on top of that what are we to be thankful for I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We're to be thankful for redemption. We're to be thankful for grace. We're to be thankful for salvation. We're to be thankful for the gospel of the glorious saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are to be thankful for family and friends. We are to be thankful for gainful employment, for health. We are to be thankful for rules over our head. We are to be thankful for the calling of the Spirit of God that took us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be thankful for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. 
We ought to be thankful for the word of the living God that's given to us in printed form, multiple translations in a prolific way so that we have the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We ought to be thankful for the church of the living God, the body of Christ, the expression and extension, co-extension of him who took on a human nature, who is in glory as our head and we on earth as his body to testify to the world that there is redemption accomplished in Jesus applied by the Holy Ghost to To all who will believe on him, we ought to be thankful for our trials, not our temptations, our trials. We ought to be thankful for growth and maturity, for humility and graciousness and the fruit of the spirit. Many things that we can be thankful for, hoping that when you guys sit around the table on Thursday, you can quickly and uh, at length talk about the thankful things for which you are thankful to God for what he has done for you. In Jesus name. Again, two lines open. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Let me see. I'm going to talk to Sean and Chris, but you guys hold on. Got to take another break, pay some bills. When I come back, I'll get you, Sean from Redlands and you, Chris from Seaside. And I'd love to hear from the rest of you. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. What are you thankful for? We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back the time 543 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's go to line number one and talk with Sean in Retland. Sean, are you there? I am here. How are you, Pastor? I'm great. What's your question, comment, observation, sir? Hi. Um, yeah, I was just calling. I've been meaning to call you so for quite a while now. It's been very, very blessed your ministry for a long time okay um my wife and i started listening to you uh we found some of your sermons on sermon audio about seven years ago or so and um been just very blessed very blessed by the ministry and um thankful for it um well i appreciate that hey tell me can you tell me where redlands is sure yeah it's about um it's about an hour east of la okay okay so kind of like Rancho Cucamonga, Rancho yeah, Montana, yeah. that whole area, Southern yeah. California. Cool. Is that yeah, is that where yeah. you're originally from? Um, I'm from Upland, so oh. it's a little little more west from sure. Redlands, but yeah, same area. So so yeah, thanks for the call. Um, are you listening online? Uh, yeah. Well, no, I'm I, I I'm listening on my headphones just through the um through the phone because when you call in it. While you're waiting, you're hearing the radio show. No, no. I, what I meant is, you guys are down now, north. Are you picking us up on uh, on oh. the, the regular radio station, or is this internet? Uh, this is internet. Oh, cool, this cool, cool, cool. I yeah. love it. We're starting yeah. to get a much bigger audience on the internet, and I'm loving that too. So, how can I help you, man? Um, my question, or just kind of the thing I've been struggling with, um, is out here finding a finding a local church that is kind of in step with what we hold to mm-hmm. has been very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Like the the most difficult, like the church we're going to currently, we're not members. We've had a lot of issues with really getting settled down, buckled down into a church and sure. um, connecting or being a member and serving and, and everything. Um, and so where we're at right now, it's 
I mean, doctrinally, the only things that I would have a difference in would be like some of the eschatology that's there and some of the hermeneutics that sure. are applied there. Sure. And I think as a result of those things, the there's not a lot of Christ-centered preaching. The things that are said are true, but it's not Christ-centered. Like, you can go three weeks without hearing the cross or right. hearing the resurrection, and it's just not Christ-centered. I don't know if we've been spoiled by listening to your preaching for so long, because very Christ-centered, um, mm-hmm. and and so it it's that's been a difficult thing navigating in the local church and finding that you know and um, and because it, it, it's kind of deflating when we go because I would have to make I'm sorry if I'm being long-winded, but. Mm-mm. It's a very germane. You're bringing a very germane topic that I hear repeatedly. So I do want I want us to engage this for a lot of listening ears. So go ahead on and summate your thoughts. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah. So so essentially to to sum it up, uh, the the for me I work on Sundays, so I have to make some sacrifices to be able to go on Sundays as right. it relates to like. Uh, splitting my work shift up and going to church, so, and then my wife has to get the kids together by herself. It's right. just a lot. Right. Um, and so we'll go. And when I when I have gone, I'm like, man, I go. I want to hear. I want to hear Christ. I right. want to hear about Jesus. I need to hear about my Lord. Right. But I'm not hearing Him, and right. so it it makes me pull back, which could be wrong, but it makes me pull back from the church and kind of just listen to my online sermons and and the lord is faithful in in sustaining me in that but it's not it's not what i know his purposes are for me as it relates to being a christian and being engaged and in, involved in his local church you know so what is your what does your wife think about uh that does she have the same sentiment or is she a little less um uh exacerbated than you are she's less exasperated. She understands where I'm coming from, but she, because we've dealt with this off and on for so many years, she's almost at the point where she's like, well, babe, you always find something wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. and with the, with, with whatever church we happen to visit. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that, this, I know the local church has, has caused risks and, and marriage, and, and, and it makes things harder. You right. know, it really just makes things harder when you're not... Uh, in the fellowship. In the fellowship on a consistent basis. Right. Um, and so so it, it, it just it, it exasperates issues, um, but she's, she's a lot more, um, uh, like, she, she, she goes every week, and, and I think that's a great thing. I'm, I'm the one who has has more of a struggle right now with dealing with this because over the years I have like it seems like I'm not clashing with leadership in a way that um, is where I'm trying to just be combative or divisive Mm -hmm. but it's the idea like hey I'm I'm seeing this in the scripture but this isn't what's being taught or you know or or um, 
Or in this case, it's just there's no, there's true things being said, but it's not Christ just right. being right. proclaimed. Right. And, and so. So let me give you, let me give you some pastoral help. Um, and then we got to take a break and pay some bills. Um, I'm going to give you some pastoral help, but if you want to expand the conversation, uh, you know, to get into more pastoral detail in terms of you and your wife and your kids and all of that, some fundamentals I, that I say is if you have the endurance to be able to sit under preaching that is not as comprehensive or as we call it, Christ-centered or Christ, uh, Christ-comprehensive as it ought to be. And it is not that this is an option. It is. It ought to be. There is no doubt about that. I have, uh, you know, a, a real challenge with men who think that they are doing an adequate job of expounding scriptures with a literal historical grammatical construct that limits itself to uh, the the text, uh, a little data and information around the history, and then some what we would call uh, application without that text doing what all texts of scripture is designed to do, and that is to run and has it ultimate consummation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is what makes gospel preaching distinctly gospel preaching and where the preaching of the person and work of Christ at some aspect of his person and work is not done. It is not properly gospel preaching and a soul who has been taught what Paul says, I am determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Or when he said in Colossians 1, 27 and 28, you know, I, we warn all men teaching all men that we we might present all men perfect in Christ. He understood the centrality and comprehensive nature of Christ in the scriptures uh, in terms of his person and work. And then the application follows a soul that is not having that kind of feeding is going to struggle. In your case, you're going to have to uh, make sure that you maximize your call as a loving husband to be sacrificial in your commitment and identification with your wife. And as you already have said, uh, Sean, that you're not debating and arguing and going to bat against the pastors. It's just that your soul has been catechized much deeper than a lot of the superficial approaches that men are engaging in that fundamentally deny their calling as a gospel preacher. And, and that is just it's, it's a true fact. This is part of the waning of our of our nate our, our nation and, uh, and and the preaching in our churches that men don't celebrate the preaching of Christ. They don't they don't they don't understand how critically important it is for us to put Christ in all of his glory and his offices and his work in front of the people so that their souls are made to be educated by the spirit of God and who the reality of Christ is for them. Uh, and and so people suffer for it. Uh, again, you need to be sacrificing your 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 love with your wife and and praying about how to augment augment that teaching like you do by you know going to other resources, which which is what believers do all over the world. By the way, uh, 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 Sean, all believers do that. I did that forty years ago when I started my walk with Christ and discovered that I wasn't able to find churches that were really exegetically sound or expositorily committed uh, to to the proclamation of the gospel until God led me to a community where uh, where as you understand uh, we, we we understand the doctrines of grace the essential reality of the person and work of Christ that spans the totality of scripture uh, on several covenant levels that that lead to a soul being you know taught of God and coming to Christ 
that that was a struggle for us too. But um, you got to just you know ask God for His His grace to sustain you and uh, try to hang in there. If the church is orthodox, if it if it's orthodox, just try to hang in there, man. Um, I got to take a break. So yeah, if you want to email me, you know my email address. We can kind of take it further and see if we can strategize. Uh, maybe even look for some local churches that do have as its intentionality the preaching of of the gospel as the main staple for that church. Um, man, I, I feel for you, and I appreciate your call. I got to take a break. Three lines open, one 367 I'll talk a little bit more about Sean's dilemma on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. 